The year is 1197 and the long night has begun. When darkness falls, monsters walk the streets and alleys of the cities, congregating to plot and scheme. Fearing fire, the cross and the lupines of the wild, the elder Cainites nonetheless seek to guide and control human civilization through centuries-old plots, while the younger vampires scrabble for power, influence and prestige. Welcome to the world of Dark Ages. Greetings, dear listeners, and welcome to episode 7 of the World of Dark Ages podcast. My name is Jacob. And I'm Peter. So, Peter, what's what in the frozen north that you inhabit? Well, the the frozen part is definitely right. We're starting to get some frosty nights and uh, uh, yeah, uh, frost on the cars in the morning and very cool rain this morning when I went out walking the dogs, so... Oh, uh, it's, it's a perfect uh, perfect time to sit inside and listen to a podcast about the chilly grip of uh, death-seeking vampires, I think. Ah, well, here in Denmark, the weather has turned Danish. Um, yesterday was uh, it's a very, very nice... <laughs> well, <laughs> something like that. Yesterday was, was very, very nice, but um, next week they've pretty much just promised rain upon rain upon rain, which is... Is very very Danish, um, but speaking about the clan of death, uh, our book today is Clan Book Cappadocian, written by Justin Achille and developed by Justin Achille, Robert Hatch, and Ken Cliff. So we have one writer and three developers, which is is kind of interesting. Um, and this book introduces us to what we can call the new kid on the block. Can- clan Cappadocian was only just introduced in the Dark Ages core book, so they don't have the development behind them than the other twelve clans have. And as such, this book has quite a job ahead of it. Uh, it has to give information that makes the Cappadocian clan as well-rounded, fleshed out, and diverse as the other clans. Uh, have you ever played a Cappadocian? I haven't, uh, mostly because I've I've mostly been playing uh, modern knights, um, which means that there aren't any around. Uh, but I, I don't think I've even encountered one when playing Dark Ages. You must have in. You've been in at least one of my Dark Ages LARPs, uh, so so there must have been a Cappadocian in there. I'm fairly certain. Yeah, probably, but it's not something I... that springs to mind exactly. No, wait a minute. Um, you were at the Dark Ages LARP I did at ForumCon, and I know of at least one Cappadocian there. Though that was a Giovanni Cappadocian played by our, by our friend Niels Martin. Oh yeah, yeah, it was. Oh my god, that is such a long time ago. Yeah, well, if if you say so, I I honestly can't remember. Uh, uh, I'm I'm fairly certain Nils Martin can remember. Yeah. <laughs> um, I've uh, speaking of Giovanni Cappadocians, the only time I've ever played a Cappadocian is um, is a Giovanni Cappadocian in the Chronicle that they published Bitter Crusade concerning the the Fourth Crusade. Yeah. I played a 13th generation Giovanni Cappadocian um, who, who was completely and utterly rubbish at anything uh, physical. So whenever there was a fight, he'd just stand back. But fortunately, he had a, a, a thuggish ghoul who could handle things. Um, so I've never played what you might call a traditional Cappadocian. Um, so, so uh, before we get started, wh- what's your take on the clan? Well, I, I think I mentioned it briefly when we went through the core book. Is that they're they're kind of difficult, uh, or, or rather, I'm having a very hard time seeing them as player characters. Uh, it's 
due to the very insular nature and like, okay, I'm going to sit here in my study and, and cut up corpses for the next 16 years. They, I, I don't really feel that they have... Um, that they have a place in your standard adventuring coterie, so to speak. Uh, so, so I, I feel that they could probably be used as NPCs and and quest givers, basically, uh, or as antagonists. But I'm, they're not that intriguing for me to, as a, from a player perspective. Yeah. Well, only having played at Giovanni Cappadocian, which was what made this character. Um, shall we say proactive? Uh, I I don't really have much to add, uh, add because I think also the problem is at least the way they were presented in the the core book. They are these scholars, and the, there's always the problem when you have um, when you have characters that are generally portrayed as being scholars and researchers. There is this, this tendency for for them to just yeah, as you say, be sitting around uh, doing their their scholarship. So um, I'd be interested to hear from from our listeners if if anyone's played a Cappadocian uh, for for any length of time. Uh, how did that work out? Uh, so um, if if you any of our listeners here have uh, experience either yeah playing a Cappadocian, playing with a Cappadocian, running a game where there was a Cappadocian, uh, drop us a line in in our Facebook group because it could be it could be interesting to see. Uh, it's also going to be interesting to see if this book can can change uh, <laughs> our perspective on the clan. Yeah. Um, so uh, let's start with the cover. Uh, I like the look of it. We have a Cappadocian hovering over what uh, I, I think it's supposed to be some kind of highly decorative box, uh, probably a coffin or something like that. But it gives me some some serious Covenant of the Ark from Indiana Jones vibes. Yeah, you're um, right. yeah, he's he's looming in his typical cloak uh, and and hood uh, kind of deal. The, the pose kind of reminds me of the the. Um, uh, sexy vampire lady from from three pillars i think it was it's it's yeah kind of the, the no uh, yeah 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 that that you're right the, the pose is quite similar uh but yeah it's it's a very uh, um evocative and uh and, and as everyone probably knows by now i'm not a huge fan of the space elf look of, of <laughs> vampires uh but this one does definitely not have that look but it still has the creepy um, kind of uh, withered corpse look without being the uh, creepy space elf uh, vampire look about it. So, yeah, yeah I, I really like it. One one thing the the uh, the structure it 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 kind of looks a bit like the composition uh, like uh, a genie rising from its bottle. Yeah, it it could be some yeah. It's, um, yeah, but yeah, it it's. It's a it's a great it's a great picture. Uh, the interior art, meanwhile, seems a bit hit and miss to me. Yeah. Uh, we we we've got some great stuff, especially I especially like the art for the sample characters. Though I have a comment or two on the weapons and armor mm-hmm. when we get to them, obviously. However, there are also some pictures that I found a bit weird and not really setting the mood. So I I think the interior art is is very much up and down. Uh, yeah, I can agree with that. There there was especially one. Uh, just on on page eight, there's this weird face, demon face thing that I I can't even imagine what it's supposed to be. But uh, it it kind of reminds me of some of the silly orc faces from uh, from Warhammer, which kind of took me 
straight out of of the setting, which was and it was just weird. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, no, it was just so. I, yeah, I agree with your your hit and miss uh, assessment because some of the other artwork is is really good, uh, and and you have the uh, lots of dark catacomb catacombs and and tombs and uh, withered corpses and stuff like that, which actually suits the the clan and. Uh, and and it's a sweet uh, or it sets a sweet mood for for everything and then you have these almost cartoonish faces here and there which is is almost distraction distracting yeah i don't know if they were going for like a um an illuminated manuscript kind of feel because we we know in in um, uh, medieval manuscript, they had some some really weird things from time to time with yeah. with rabbits and snails and stuff. But it, if if that was what they were going for, I think that it fell flat. That it didn't really work. Mm. So uh, we start off with two black pages with white text. One a Shakespeare quote, and the other a short musing on death, as well as a, a kind of weird looking picture of a guy carrying a sundial while wearing what looks like pajama pants with print on it yeah um this didn't do anything for me uh, the picture is weird and shakespeare is too far into the future that i think quotes from him really fits into the to the dark ages books. yeah it's like if if you cut off the bottom half of the picture with a sundial so you don't see his yoga pants uh then it's actually not that bad because obviously it's it has to do with with time and that eventually the bell tolls for the end etc etc but so yeah but the pants were just weird and yeah out of place. Uh, also a, a sundial you're vampires you don't have you, you're yeah, exactly. the sun. you would need yeah, well, you have <laughs> it could be a moon dial <laughs> yeah um so uh, chapter one is a very short intro story which introduces us nicely to the Cappadocian tradition of either burying or entombing new childhood. And it also demonstrates very well the awakening of the Auspex discipline, which I thought that was amazingly well described. Mm, Uh, It freaked me the hell out because I'm claustrophobic and I panic when it comes to being in extremely enclosed spaces. I can't even watch spelunking videos. So this was very and very unpleasant read for me, Um, but but it, it worked really well. Uh, so, so what what did you think of it? Yeah, uh, well, I I don't have the same problem with uh, spelunking and stuff like that. I actually uh, done quite a bit of it uh, quite a few years ago. Uh, but yeah, I I agree that it really sets the mood and the the way it portrays how uh, um, just just waking up as a uh, as a new vampire and and realizing what you are and and that you're literally in a bad place uh, at least for this particular child uh, yeah I, I liked it it was good uh, it, um, it it felt I, I wouldn't say that it felt cliche or stereotypical but it felt like uh, the the standard uh, operating procedure for Cappadocians which I guess it's supposed to be so can't really complain about that yeah, I'm thinking this is uh, if if you're a storyteller and you're going to be running a game with a Cappadocian, this is a really good inspiration for doing a prelude yeah. because you can you can play through. Okay, you're embraced. You wake up underground or in a coffin or stuff like that, mm. and really get across what what they've gone through. Um, so chapter two is unsurprisingly the history of Clan Cappadocian, starting all the way back at uh, Enoch, uh, the first city, and 
moving through the flood, uh, the second city, and what happens after that. The first part, uh, well, not much to say from a historical viewpoint, since this is all vampire history yeah. rather than real world, and, and, and back in a time where we don't really know much about it. We do get Cappadocius and his clan tied into Abrahamic religion quite early, as there's a story of Cappadocius meeting a, a Jew in some unspecified time long before Christianity and being impressed by Judaism enough that he pretty much converts to some kind of monotheism and forms his philosophy around uh, that. The last thing we get before the rise of Christianity is the building of uh, the Temple of Erciyes, uh, however you pronounce it. Yeah. This incidentally is a real location in modern-day Turkey, yeah. near but not sadly in Cappadocia. It's yeah. it's not. I, I I went online and checked, and and it's just outside of Cappadocia. Yeah. Uh, so what are your comments on this section? Uh, well, it's like you said, it's it's vampire history, so it's not uh, it's not real history and. Again, I, I must feel that they set the mood quite well uh, for for the kind of, of history that um, that it's supposed to be. That you have this uh, this scholar and and the fact that uh, of course uh, uh, the name Cappadocius means someone from the area of, of Cappadocia and, and that he that's the only name he gives himself. Uh, to, I, I guess it's supposed to be that he's he's more of the land than than a person, uh, but it's still uh, it, it's still a very uh, interesting story. I think it's uh, they they tie in some interesting themes. Uh, I can't remember if it's now or later on where they talk about him uh, meeting Zoroaster and Buddha, uh, and and again, uh, I'm I'm not a huge fan of of. Uh, uh, vampires being behind everything in human or mortal history uh, but i don't mind that a uh, a very scholarly um, and theological uh, vampire such as cappadocius would actually go and listen to uh, to prophets uh, well i don't i'm not you don't really call buddha a prophet but but like a holy person uh, yeah so um, so yeah that's um, so far so good yeah, and I mean, it, it also makes sense that, that he, is, he is a scholar and a holy person, because especially since his scholarship involves uh, death, mm -hmm. uh, it, it makes sense that, that he ties in with, with religion, because it, that, that, that is really the area where, um, where you have scholarship and you have uh, ideas about death when you go this far back. Um, we then come to the rise of Christianity, where Cappadocius settles most of his clan in two underground cities, uh, Derinkuyu and Kaimakli. Once again, uh, if we have anybody here who, who actually speaks uh, the, the appropriate language, I'm sorry if I, <laughs> if I mispronounce that. Mm. <clears throat> These are real cities that did exist in what is uh, modern-day Turkey, in the Cappadocia region. Um, and these are underground cities, um, some of the more famous of, of, of these rather massive underground cities that are quite interesting, this, this concept of quite a large amount of people actually living more or less underground. Yeah. Um, and I really love the, the use of these underground cities. It's, it makes sense that it's something vampires would use, though it does raise the question as to why other clans didn't use it. I'm, I'm guessing that the real world answer is that writers only uh, came across these cities in their research at a late point, and so they got assigned to Clan Cappadocian. Though their location in Cappadocia does make it a natural fit. Yeah, yeah, probably that. And <coughs> I'm, 
I, I don't know really anything about the economy of these cities, but I'm thinking that if, if they're kind of remote and, uh, and and doesn't really contribute to anything, then then I'm guessing that, like, for example, a um, Ventru or Brugia doesn't really have that much interest in. Uh, yeah. They, they do mention that in, in the temple that the Cappadocians take over, there was a Malkavian living there uh, who got killed. Uh, so it's probably not that unheard of, uh, but uh, the, the unusual thing about the Cappadocians is that there are so many of them in this particular place. Yeah, exactly. That they are they are gathered together uh, much more closely than any other clan at this point. Mm. Um, anyway, there's also Cappadocius's conversion to Christianity uh, with a nice nice story involving Cappadocius talking to an angel, <clears throat> which may or may not be true, but it can be used as part of clan lore. Uh, we get a bit about Egypt with uh, a really nice nod to Coptic Christianity, yeah. which I think not a lot of people know about, but which is one of, if not the oldest surviving branch of, of Christianity. Mm. So, uh, yeah. So yeah. Uh, do you have any, any comments on the, on, on the, the Christianity section? Uh, no, I, I think it's, uh, uh, like you mentioned, uh, uh, the inclusion of, of Coptic Christians who often, as a side note, use the Ankh uh, as uh, a symbol instead of, of the more traditional cross. So that's Woo -hoo, yeah. So that's that's fitting for um, for uh, vampire, the masquerade, and dark ages. Uh, but yeah, I, I think it um, uh, it works with having vampirism spread with Christianity, especially if there there are Christian vampires. Uh, so and and again, that means that if you want to have um, if you want to have vampires that has spread to this area, uh, this would be a very natural. Uh, way of, of doing it that they just go with the the caravans and the missionaries so yeah mm. um, it works so the next section covers uh probably the most well-known uh things about cappadocian history besides the whole giovanni thing uh starting with the feast of folly mm. uh in short cappadocius gets all cappadocians to kaimakli and the one he feels having contributed to the clan gets locked away underground. A few Cappadocians that didn't already make it, that didn't make it all the way to, to Kaimakli in time escape. Cappadocius then gets one of his visions and gets the great idea that he needs to diabolize God, capital G God, yeah. and bring about heaven on earth. Yeah. Uh, what's your take on, on this part of, of Cappadocia, the Cappadocian story? Uh well, again, with the number, they, they mentioned that the, the city could accommodate up to 15,000 citizens. I have no problem with that. But uh, on the night of, of convocation, 12,000 vampires of the clan attended. That's a lot of, of vampires, uh, even for, for modern nights. And, and yeah, I realize that this is supposed to be during the time when people didn't or vampires didn't care about the masquerade as much and they went about uh, as uh, gods among men and and uh, pretending to be saints or demons or whatever but again 12,000 vampires you could you could uh, just uh, take away one of the zeros and, and 1200 vampires would still be a lot of vampires I'm thinking the narrator uh, is using the technique that you talked about in our side quests last uh, or a couple of weeks ago uh, with with um, adding, with adding zero, zero. Because they look yeah. Cool. yeah, probably, yeah. and it's not unlikely. But but again, if if we go by the um, 
one vampire for every thousand and one mortals, that would mean that there should be 12 million uh, humans in... I, I don't think there even was that many people in Europe. Don't don't quote me on this, but... Uh, shouldn't it be just one point... No, sorry, a thousand. Yeah, that's yeah. my mistake. Yeah, 12 million. That's, that's, that's right. So that's that's a lot of people. So and, that's and again, a lot. And again, the whole point of the Feast of Follow, which I kind of agree, is that you, you take the worthless people that doesn't contribute, like he mentions, the people who can't read the write or hasn't helped to build a church or a temple, and then uh, they're locked away to either die by the hands or teeth of their fellow canites or just go into torpor, uh, which, again, is, is a very... Um, especially for you, I can imagine, uh, with your claustrophobia, oh, is, is ah, a horrible ah. fate. So, so that part I like. Uh, it's it's just that we, what, what have all these 12,000 Cappadocians been doing for the last, I don't know, 10 years, and, and why haven't they conquered the world, basically? Um, yeah. But, yeah, it's, but it's, the, the whole the numbers of, of weird. Uh, <laughs> basically... Uh, fucking your own clan over. Uh, yeah, I really like it, and it, and it shows how uh, insane uh, Cappadocius has become, and especially like you mentioned that that okay. So what's the next next step of my great plan? I'm gonna diablerize God. Uh, yeah, it it really. I mean, it really gives some, in my opinion, meat to the clan. Mm. Uh, it's not just, well, they're all scholars and Cappadocius was a scholar who studied death and they scholared around for 10,000 years and in 1197 they're scholaring. Uh, you yeah. really get a, a sense of, okay, they're willing to do some serious stuff in order to uh, to advance the, the ideas of the clan. Yeah. Uh, and and diaporize God... I, I, I think that there might be people, who, I, I'm fairly certain there are people who think, okay, this sounds like a silly idea. I, I like the whole tying in the idea of uh, Diablery with his belief in, in God and his uh, probably rather unorthodox approach to Christianity. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think it really works as, um, as a, a part of, of the story of the clan. Yeah, I, I agree as well. And, and even if you uh, run a chronicle or a campaign where you don't really want to set in stone if um, if if uh, Christianity is actually real in your personal world of darkness. It's still a, a very good tool to use uh, because Cappadocius, it, it's it what Cappadocius believes. He wants to diablerize yeah. God, uh, and and if that um, uh, if if God doesn't even exist, that just shows that much more how crazy uh, and. Uh, demented he has become so so yeah um i i kind of got some um the preacher uh feeling from it ah, uh, when, when yes. one, the whole confronting god about what the hell are you doing with exactly. uh, with creation thing so so yeah i that part i really enjoyed Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, shout out to uh, the comic book, uh, the preacher. If if you haven't, people haven't read it. It's it's uh, very recommendable. I uh, haven't seen the TV show. Uh, I've I've heard mixed reviews about it. Mm. Uh, I've seen uh, the first uh, season of it, and it's uh, it, it the weirdness and the over the topness. I don't know if that's a word, but. Uh, the weirdness and the over-the-topness of, of the comic book uh, comes through extremely well 
in the the TV series as well. So so yeah, if you like the comic, it's not the same, but I don't think you're gonna be disappointed. All right. Well, um, back to uh, to history. <laughs> yeah. Chapter three takes a look at Clan Cappadocian with the classical look at uh, clan structure, their opinions on other clans, how they feed, what they get up to night after night. Uh, some mention. Oh, hang on a bit. Uh, I completely forgot. There's um, there's there's an end to uh, to to the last chapter where. Um, they, they talk about the Cappadocians in the time of the Dark Ages setting, including the embrace of Augustus Giovanni yeah. and the introduction of the Giovanni family into mm. the clan, which I, I uh, clan Giovanni is, is one of my uh, my favorite clans. So so this was something that, that I uh, really, really lo- was looking forward to reading. Uh, one interesting thing of note here is uh, the mention that the Giovanni turned to necromancy more as a way to entertain the jaded elders of the family who, through their wealth and power, had experienced uh, almost everything else the world had to uh, to offer. And the, uh, but later uh, in um, in the series of books, and their necromancy is tied into ancestor worship. Uh, I kind of prefer the second explanation, though only by a tiny margin. Yeah, I'm I'm not sure if I have any opinion on on that particular uh, thing, but I I could imagine imagine that. Uh, being such an incestuous family, and, and they kind of hint that that even as mortals they were quite incestuous, that that they would over time turn into uh, ancestor worshiper, uh, worshiping, especially if one of your ancestor uh, is still around in the form of of being yeah. a vampire. Uh, so so yeah, they they open up some interesting things about that. I, mm. I also as a, as a side note, I. Uh, I like how they make such a big deal about Giovanni incest, and uh, I think they mention marrying cousins, which, again, if you were a noble family in the uh, medieval times or even up to the 18th, 19th century, marrying your cousin wasn't really that uh, that big of a deal. Um, Queen Victoria was basically the, the grandmother of most of the European uh, royal families at the start of the 20th century, uh, all of the, the the Kaiser of Germany, the Tsar of Russia, and the King of England were were first cousins during yeah, World and we War had I. we had a, a Danish king. I can't remember which one who was nicknamed the the father-in-law of Europe <laughs> because he had a bunch of daughters that got married around. So yeah, yeah it's it's. I mean, the funny thing is, as as you mentioned, when it comes to uh, to marrying. Um, I mean, nobility got into marrying cousins, but if you weren't nobility, marrying second cousins wasn't really that big of a no, of yeah. of a deal. So a lot of the um, a lot of the jokes that you make about um, hillbillies and rednecks <laughs> in the U.S. could be made about European royalty. It's like um, yeah, or nobility if, uh, in general. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like if if you uh, if you um, uh, divorce and, and remarry and still have the same in-laws you might be a redneck or European royalty yeah. um, because it's it's uh, they, they they did a lot of of this so um, so yeah yeah but, but of chef, course oh, sorry, the Giovanni yeah. the Giovanni takes it to the extreme and uh, again I'm, I'm not a huge fan of of clan Giovanni because they were often portrayed very stereotypical as as either mafiosos or uh, deviants or deviant mafiosos, but um, the, <laughs> the incestuous nature of, of it, and, and again, taking it to its extreme, it might not be 
your cup of tea uh, to include in in a chronicle um, but as um, as a tool to describe what uh, what kind of clan it is and how they act uh, then it works perfectly i think yeah and then we move to chapter three mm. clan structure pins yeah. on other clans how they feed what they get up to night after night so mention of the giovanni and lamia solid information here i have no comments until we get to the section on game rules uh do you have any comments uh no i think uh i, I think they have some uh again they they show how the the clan would work in in different settings and where they fit in in mortal society the the only problem i see is again that if if you have uh, a Cappadocian in all of the monasteries or churches that are said to have uh, a Cappadocian, and then you also have to have a Toreador or a Malkavian, and etc. It's going to be crowded, even, even <laughs> yeah. in the places or parts of Europe where they have um, where they have lots of churches and monasteries. It's it's going to be crowded, man. It's uh, it's going to be. Yeah, they, they there is a tendency. Um, to to say you know oh the Cappadocians are are in the monasteries and then in in some of the previous books that we've we've read it's like oh the La Sombra uh, they they uh, use the power of the church so you have La Sombras in monasteries yeah. and oh the Toreador are are entranced by the the art so they get get involved yeah. in it. so as, like you said you you get to a monastery there's mm-hmm. four different vampires sitting around there <laughs> it's kind of it, it gets crowded yeah yeah I, um, I do love the the side story of the tragedy of Father Eustace. That uh, was funny. Yeah, that was funny. It's it's uh, about uh, the uh, yeah again the, the tragedies that can befall uh, even the most pious of vampires, and it's it's basically about a Cappadocian who uh, who poses as uh, as a village priest or a town priest, and uh, he his flock uh, his mortal flock loves him and and really uh, reveres him. Uh, and then at at uh, one one day during uh, I think yeah during harvest uh, they want to thank him for um, for for bringing the gift of God upon them uh, and they go to his church but um, the the, uh, the lay brothers say that no you can't disturb the the father during the day but uh, 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 rambunctious uh, crowd they they. Uh, still want to to bringing out, uh, so they take they take the sleeping priest and uh, bringing outside in the procession, and of course he uh, is he bursts into flame and and dies, uh, and it ends with uh, to this night Father Eustace is remembered in the town and revered as a saint, taking back to God's bosom by the ignorance of the unruly crowd, the Lord giveth yeah. and the Lord taketh away, and, and <laughs> yeah, I mean yeah, if you. I would just love to actually include this in a game where kind of like a warning to other players that, yeah, you can have influence over mortal society and you can interact with uh, with mortals quite a bit. Just be careful, because if you're <laughs> asleep during the day, things might happen. Yeah, I mean, if you think um, religious hist- um, histrionics and, and uh, just this madness... Uh, is is something that that is uh, is is only happening in in modern times? No, 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 no. That goes that goes way back. Yeah. Uh, you get things like the flagellants, and you get things like extreme uh, asceticism, and this idea of wanting to parade a priest around yeah. uh, is is quite believable. 
so yeah, that is that is a fun story. Yeah, and um, in other religions, you have like, for instance, the, the worshiper of of Dionysus in ancient Greek. Uh, oh yeah, Greece and Rome. They who would uh, basically go around on his uh, bacchanalias where where you would drink and and orgy your way through towns. So so yeah, it's it's nothing new and it's not just something that that Christianity has done. So yeah. Um, so we we then get the the rules stuff um, because this is a, a a clan book, so they have to have new stuff. Um, there's a new knowledge thanatology, which is the study of death and funerary practices. Uh, most of it could be covered by medicine, but uh, you know I like the inclusion of things like mummification. It's 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 really hit or or miss whether you want to include new uh, abilities. Uh, we also get the road of bones, which is thankfully not an example of the road of what I was going to do anyway, but actually has some strictures that can come into play. So it it seems like a, a good road to include. Uh, and then we have merits and flaws, and I want to talk a bit about them. Uh, so before I do, do you have any any comments on on thanatology or the road of bones? Uh, no, I uh, again the road of bones. I I would probably uh, find it difficult to including a in a long term uh, campaign because it's 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 kind of weird in its way. But I think it could probably work quite well in um, uh, in 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 a short, just a one shot or or. Uh, yeah, for an NPC. Yeah, or yeah, especially for an NPC. And again, I'm not, I'm not saying that it's, it's a bad road. Uh, it's more that I have a difficulty uh, fitting in it. As for thanatology, um, like you said, most of it could be covered by, uh, um, by medicine or, or something else. Uh, and and what I feel is is kind of the problem that with, uh, the, because the, the the core, uh, the core book. Uh, covered basically everything with their knowledges and skills and abilities so for every time you have um, uh, a new book that uh, adds on a new skill or ability uh, then then it, it kind of I don't know does does if you include thanatology in your game does that mean that uh, someone who knows medicine doesn't know the things covered by thanatology and and it gets yeah, just exactly. more and more, and you have to. Um, it's kind of like with as with feats in Dungeons and Dragons Third Edition that you basically have literally hundreds, if not thousands, of them. So you, you're gonna have to pick and choose. Uh, but again, if if you want to include it as some kind of speciality knowledge, go ahead. Um, yeah. I, I would probably use it as a specialization for medicine. Exactly. Perhaps. Yeah, or, or, or even theology. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's that's a nice twist on it. Yeah, that would work. Mm. But yeah, merits okay. of course. Go ahead. Yeah, uh, we get four, and I want to talk about two of them. Uh, the merit, merit Giovanni lineage and the flaw horrific appearance. Uh, the Giovanni lineage marriage, which is, is one that, that I've played a character who had, like I mentioned, I played a a Cappadocian Giovanni. This is two point and obviously it makes you a Giovanni with access to necromancy as a fourth clan discipline. So you have four disciplines that you can buy at clan discipline costs. Uh, and then it bars you from taking uh, the merit or flaw connected with ha having visions. That's the two other flaws that I'm not going to talk about. Mm. Uh, it also limits you to 11th generation or higher. Uh, now I can see why this needs to be a merit since you get a fourth clan discipline in, in later books. Um, it, this is different. We'll get to that when we when we talk about how they do Clan Giovanni in in um, Dark Ages Vampire, um, and it can be debated uh, if two points is too little. 
for getting uh, a new a new discipline. Though it's it's a you can't choose which discipline you get. It is necromancy. Uh, though, it's, and it's worth mentioning that at this time, necromancy has. Uh, only three levels and it's yeah. not a path-based discipline so there's no rituals yeah. um, but still you know I, I think in a long running chronicle this is a very very powerful but what I find odd is that you're limited to a limited to 11th generation since Augustus was embraced as fourth and one would think that he embraced some members of the family who would then embrace family yeah. members like you said they're incestuous I can see it being necessary to balance the point cost but it feels artificial yeah, I I agree. Uh, I'm I'm just thinking about the math. Do you actually get your first point of necromancy just by this merit, or do you still have to no. buy it? So, so you you get you get it as a clan discipline. Yeah. And in dark in dark age, you start with four dots to put in discipline. Oh, yeah, so you, you could do. theoretically yeah, you, start you did, with one dot yeah. in everything if you wanted. That's a um, good point. Uh, because I'm, and then I'm when you're buying it for XP or yeah, stuff, for, then for freebie points. Uh, and I think yeah. the freebie points are two points for the merit, and then five i guess for the if you wanted them uh, no i think it's seven actually with freebies but i can't remember is it seven even for clan discipline yeah i think i oh, think okay, when yeah. you're buying it for freebies it's it's the same whether it's in clan or out of clan okay. it's only when you start using xp that it, that it's uh, costs more uh, more or less yeah so but that's still worth a lot of points yeah yeah that's you you're right and as for the generational uh, thing um it's like like you mentioned um it's it uh, Augustus Giovanni was embraced as a fourth generation. You, I guess you could kind of argue that Augustus and he, at least his his closer uh, spawn are still Cappadocians. And if you mm. want to have a Giovanni uh, lineage, it has to be oh. a certain number of of generations after that. Uh, but again, going from fourth or fifth down to 11 in a couple of hundred years that's a lot of generations still it is but yeah i i i like that as as a possible explanation for uh, for this um and it's an awesome merit for a chronicle that's supposed to run beyond the giovanni perch of the cappadocians uh the first time we played uh transylvania chronicles we had um one player who played a cappadocian and not a Giovanni Cappadocian, so when the Perch came, you know his character had to had to go. Um, so it's it's a good it's a good thing to keep in mind if you're playing a long running chronicle and someone wants to play a Cappadocian, then well yeah, then you should play someone with a Giovanni lineage because then you you will survive the Perch. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the next one that, or, uh, that I want to talk about is horrific appearance. Mm. It's a three point flaw that makes the character look like a rotting corpse appearance zero. Basically, a way to link the modern uh, Samedi or Samdi bloodline with the Cappadocian, something that they really drive home later. Yeah. Uh, and I have a complaint, and that is that you get three points for having the same clan flaw as the Nosferatu. Uh, sure, you lack obfuscate as a clan discipline, but still, it's like yes, I, I, I now, I'm now Nosferatu, and I have three more points to play with. Um, yeah. So I don't know if you have any comments here. No, it's uh, I, we talked about this briefly in the when we went through the the core book is that some of the the flaws that are are uh, aren't really uh, that uh, expensive. They're just one or two point flaws are basically the same as uh, the entire weakness for for another clan. So yeah, I think they should kind of balance the the whole thing uh, a bit more. That that if it, it feels weird that some of the um, 
of the clan weaknesses, which are supposed to be really, really annoying, uh, is just a one or even in this game, case a three-point flaw. Um, mm. I, I don't really feel that it's balanced, and uh, and and yeah, it's. Uh, I, I I don't know if if three points is enough to balance up the complete because. If if you have an appearance rating of, of zero, you are no longer uh, human in in any way. So it's gonna be difficult uh, for you if you don't get obfuscate or walk around wearing a mask. So uh, mm. I, yeah, okay. you know, yeah, that is that is true. But <coughs> I, again, I'm, I'm, I, I I sometimes have a difficulty with these very extreme uh, merits and flaws that they. Uh, they affect the, or rather, they should affect gameplay so very much. But I'm, I'm mm. guessing that uh, sooner or later, people are just going to forget that the Cappadocian <laughs> actually is a, a walking rotting corpse. So mm. yeah, okay. So um, next is disciplines. Uh, we get two new disciplines for Mortis level six and seven, as well as two combi disciplines and the Giovanni Necromancy, which is, as I mentioned, a standard discipline rather than uh, thematically-like path-based discipline, and limited to only three levels. Now, I love that Necromancy is limited to yeah. three levels at this point. It's showing that the Giovanni are still struggling to convert their mortal magic to vampiric powers, and this is a great story hook. Um, as someone who's playing a Giovanni Cappadocian, can be involved in figuring out the higher levels. Yeah, I, I agree with that, uh, and uh, it also, especially if, if you have the Yuani lineage merit, then it doesn't uh, make them so extremely powerful when they have four uh, clan disciplines. Uh, and uh, in in some ways, um, it, or, or like you said, it, it allows for uh, play characters to uh, to work around uh, the discovery of, of new levels of necromancy. Or or you could perhaps have it as a plot point that, oh no, the Giovanni are researching their horrible necromancy and, and perhaps we have to stop them. Or uh, they, oh. they are uh, raiding uh, monasteries and cloisters for ancient texts that might... Uh, might help them and the local Toreador are annoyed by that or something so you know I never thought about that that's a really cool uh, plot hook hmm yeah well so, so it's, it's useful again like like yeah. you said it it shows the uh, kind of kind of like the the setting how it is uh, when the uh, when the book takes takes place yeah. so to speak so uh, the two powers we get is a level 6 and a level 7, and uh, I think they seem a bit weak for the power level, with the exception of using the level 7 power to target a K-Knight's head, which results in them being unable to feed or use disciplines for the rest of the night, and that effect is nasty. But otherwise, I thought that the, the powers there, they, they, they seemed a bit weak for their power level. I don't know if you agree with that. Yeah, I, I really agree. Uh, like you said, they, they're not really that... Um they're not really that powerful and I again I'm, I'm kind of struggling with when I would use them yeah of course turning turning a vampire's head into uh, yeah you're basically withering it so you can yeah. use it to insta kill uh, humans more or less but uh, yeah I mean if you have if if you're a vampire who has a level seven power yeah. there are different ways of insta killing yeah, yeah. mortals you don't really have to worry about yeah. using a level seven power to do that no that's that's true but I'm I, I also felt that the the combined 
power where you need Auspex level 2 and Fortitude level 7. Yeah. To basically diagnose people with illnesses it's it's like you can you can do that with medicine already and that's not even a discipline sure it and and if i if i'm if i'm not mistaken isn't that a um a salubri level two power diagnosing someone's health but it it sounds i I think it might be actually so and yeah and especially since it's a not only do you need Fortitude level 7 and Auspex level 2, uh, you also have to pay 20 experience points for this uh, power. And, and the thing is, it's not even an uh, automatical success. You have to actually roll for it. Yeah, uh, spend those 20 points on buying more medicine. Yeah, exactly. And, and it's, it's a perception plus medicine or herbalism. Uh, at a difficulty of eight and and you, if you botch it you are completely wrong uh, you you are uh, unfa- uh, unfamiliar with the disease and unable to identify it if again if you're that not higher level but if you're that powerful a vampire and has lived long enough to be able to have fortitude seven uh, yeah like you mentioned just spend experience points on on buying more medicine but because it feels very strange. It, it's not even that you automatically heal people from the illness. You you just you have to roll again if you actually want to cure people. Um, yeah. So so yeah, that one is kind of weird actually. Um, um, yeah, and also you know that one requires fortitude uh, seven. The other one requires fortitude eight. And I'm just thinking there. Both of these are out of the reach of normal player characters. You. The best you can get to with a player character created under the normal rules is level six. Mm. I really would have preferred something that player characters could buy. Yeah, that's that's a very good idea. Good point, actually. I, I agree. Uh, of course, you could have uh, lower generation characters in in extreme uh, circumstances, but but like you mentioned, if if you you're a player who actually enjoys playing the Cappadocians. Uh, and and you get this, it's not very useful for you. No, exactly. Um, So before we head on to chapter four, one last thing I would like to mention uh, that I feel is missing from the last two chapters is any mention of the Cappadocians and Islam. Now, uh, we've mentioned uh, previously that this edition of Vampire is very uh, focused on Europe uh, and Obviously, uh, it says that Cappadocia uh, converts to Christianity, so Judaism is sort of left behind. But I, I would really have loved to hear just a little bit about how um, how Cappadocia or the clan reacts to this new religion that arises, which is uh, linked to Christianity in much the same way that Christianity was linked to Judaism. So I think they, they could have spent just you know half a page uh talking about what the clan uh thinks about uh, islam has anyone converted to islam how how are they um i mean islam really was at this point a very very scholarly religion yeah. and and very focused yeah. on uh um resurrecting uh pardon the possible pun mm-hmm. and uh maintaining the scholarship of the of the greeks and the romans so it, it would make sense for the cappadocians to get involved in that somehow yeah i agree they they do have a throw throwaway line 
mentioning the Asamites in the very beginning. Uh, and they don't really uh, bring that up ever again in the book, as, as far as I've uh, been able to tell, which uh, is, is kind of a lost opportunity because, uh, as you mentioned, that it you could really have the dichotomy between Christianity and, and Islam and how does, uh, how does that affect um, Cappadocius as, uh, as a vampire or uh, the, the Cappadocians as a clan. Uh, especially mm. since they do mention quite a bit about the the power struggle between uh, the the Setites and the Cappadocians, and how uh, Cappadocians have it really have a really difficult time getting into Egypt because then they're basically uh, harassed by by Setites trying to corrupt them, and uh, uh, so so yeah, I, I would love to see something. Um, and and or rather, I would especially love to see something that um, has to do with with how the Cappadocians deal with the Crusades, and if that affects their dealings with uh, with with going to the to the east to mm. to study in in the libraries uh, that you have there, and do sure the Cappadocians are Christians, but do they still think the Crusades uh, are a good idea because it messes up their uh, basically, the timetable for their their semesters, or uh, <laughs> yes. I, yeah, I was going to I was going to go to Baghdad, you know, for for studying abroad for a semester, but then those damn Richard Lionheart went then and started a crusade, so probably can't go for another couple of years. Man, that really sucks. Uh, and I was going to study, study Sanskrit, yeah. and we can't get good Sanskrit books over here. Yeah, exactly. So, so <laughs> oh, I, I love but that. Again, it, it, like you mentioned, it doesn't have to be a lot of it, and and you can kind of tell that they focus on the relationship with the Setites. But just just a paragraph or um, a, a half a page where it throws out. It doesn't have to be anything concrete. It can just be like, yeah, it's conflicted feelings because it's a new religion, but it's still the same god or something. Mm. Obviously, they do they do get into that um, in the excellent excellent book Veil of of Night. So we'll we'll learn about that when we when we mm. get to it. But I, I felt it was missing from here. Yeah. So uh, chapter four are sample characters that players can use, and I must admit that I did not check to see if their stats matched the points available to a starting character. <laughs> uh, at this point, White Wolf was kind of infamous for a good number of their example characters and in clan books and tribe books being created wrong, and I, I was uh, tempted to, to give the book to my wife because she's made uh, a thing of uh, of checking sample characters to see if they um, yeah. if they match, but I, I, di I didn't really have the time for it. Um, but anyway, uh, some really good suggestions here. This really gives you an idea that not all Cappadocians uh, are embraced scholars of some kind. Yeah. In fact, this book inspired me so much that every time, or almost every time, I've created a setting or, or done a Dark Ages life, there's usually been a Cappadocian who is some kind of soldier or warrior in life who is embraced because of all the death he saw and caused. Ah, yeah, yeah. Um, so the artwork here is exceptionally good. Uh, at least I think. I don't know if you uh, you agree with that. Uh, yeah, it's it's better than a lot of other things. Uh, it's mm. uh, it's it's very heroic in that it's uh, the the like I, I would rather or it it would almost fit in a, a Dungeons and Dragons book because the the characters are so bulky and, and oh that muscular. is true yes uh, but it's it's not very over the top uh, and. 
you, you don't have it, it's not like it's a warhammer with thousands of thousands of, of skulls on everything there are a few but no, again and, Cappadocians so it, yeah I was just um, about to say it's the clan Cappadocian you can have skulls yeah you can have um, uh, the, the only one I, I really didn't think was that good is uh, the artwork for the prodigal necromancer uh, which again isn't bad uh, but it it looks more like I, I get a very the craft uh, feeling from it ah, the, the, yes, the yes. 90s goth witch movie with uh, uh, oh I can't remember anyone uh, Fruza Bolk I think is in it but, yeah. but you have this, this very 90s goth uh, chick uh, holding what I'm guessing is is a goblet uh, of of blood and or, or something, and she has uh, a magical uh, or, or she she has she has a necklace and she has the the, the very gothic outfit. Uh, so uh, yeah, I, I but would I would use say that in... I would use that picture in a modern day setting, but probably not in a 12th century <laughs> setting. Yeah, um, I, I I think you know I have a few nickels, but in general. I think they're doing a a good job mm. with um, with it. Uh, I especially like. Uh, I can't remember which one of them it is, but one of them uh, has a um, a bag hanging from their belt, which is um, I don't know if it's called this outside of Denmark, but in Denmark we call it a a kidney bag because it's it's actually kidney shaped, um, which is a very historical thing. And so so they they've realized uh, they they've shown us how people carry things mm. on their belt because they didn't have pockets back then. Yeah. Um, so, but like I said, a few niggles, um, we have the appearance of the studded bracers, presumably leather that Hollywood absolutely love. We have a yeah. couple of, of characters who have those, um, the lost crusader, uh, who's on page 48, he has some nice male armor, including a male coif, but his plate gloves, um, are at least 50 years too yeah. early. Yeah. And his sword has a long grip and no fuller, meaning that it's more than a hundred years early. And yeah. it also lacks a proper pommel. And I have no idea why he's wrapped cord around the base no, of the blade I, yeah i i, I don't know if he's trying to well. to make a ricasso or something but yeah that was mm -hmm. that was that was weird yeah um and the sword carried by the black sheep on page 52 has no pommel uh, and the blade is once again at least 100 years out of date and seriously he needs to have a blacksmith do something about all those chips in the blade because <laughs> yeah. they're stress risers so it'll break the next time he uses it on something hard yeah um with those chips in it so yeah <laughs> Um, and then one last comment, and that is um, in the background of the Lost Crusader. It, is men it mentions uh, the scimitars of the Muslims, and I just ha I have to comment on this because at this point in time, most Muslims actually used straight swords, yeah. the same type of straight swords that were used in Europe. Mm. Curved swords were only just starting to come into the Middle East from further east, courtesy of the various uh, Turkic peoples. Yeah. And there's the word scimitar itself. This didn't really come into use until the 15th century at the very earliest. And it's probably a European version of the Persian word uh, shamshir, yeah. which refers to the Persian type of curved blade, which didn't really begin to be a thing until around, say, early to mid 13th century. Uh, and that has been this week's installment of Jacob Gets Overly Specific About Weapons. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, I can't say anything more uh, about the artwork on, on this one, actually. I know. Yeah. It, what, what do you think of the clothes? That is your thing. I, I thought it looked really good. Well, again, there it it depends on how you look at it. Uh, like like you mentioned, the studded bracers. And one thing, speaking of, of bags and stuff, uh, it's, it's that a lot of these people have 
very wide belts. Uh, and, oh yes, uh, and and you didn't really have those uh, because you you don't really need them. Uh, you, you don't really need a, a leather belt to be really that wide. And and later on, uh, in in the fourteenth century onwards, it was actually a, a fashion to have quite thin belts. Uh, mm. So, but but uh, yeah, it's again it it works. But there are a lot of people wearing pants, which they really shouldn't. Um, the the black sheep character uh, looks very much like a, a fantasy like your your standard fantasy adventure with with some kind of hood and and a vest like garment and then uh, a sash with a belt around his waist and uh, and and baggy trousers so uh, it's it's not as bad as with the uh, the stay ups uh, of the cover girl on the last book or the <laughs> uh, and again i already mentioned the the prodigal ne- necromancer goth girl uh, but uh, yeah, it's it's not bad. Uh, again, the, it, there's quite a bit of lack of hats, and and on the same topic, uh, the the hairstyles are very much early nineties. Uh, oh yes, yes, definitely. So so you have that. Uh, what what I'm actually a bit surprised is that there aren't really that many uh, crosses or crucifixes. Uh, in in general, in in the book, you have the uh, the crusader has one on his circle. Uh, yeah. The prophet who looks kind of like a nun. Uh, she actually has a, a one, but uh, but overall, there I I I don't think I almost found uh, any anks at all, actually, or, or crosses. That is a missed opportunity. Yeah. They should have had more anks. <laughs> The, and a, a final one of the people who actually do have a hat is the the chamberlain, uh, and I can't really figure out what he's supposed to be because it, he doesn't he doesn't really look like anything. He looks very much like a, a Dungeons Dragons cleric, uh, and, <laughs> and uh, yeah, he does have a bag, uh, but he also has these weird chains hanging from his belt, and a few other has as well. And I'm just trying to figure out what they're supposed to be because yeah, yeah. If they should have had something hanging from the chains at least uh in the case of the chamberlain yeah. a bunch of keys yeah but but you don't need like three feet of of chain to to hang um, your one key ring from so it's a fashion statement man yeah <laughs> yeah i know all, all the punks in the 1980s had them so yeah <laughs> okay so we end with two appendices uh, the first one has some noteworthy characters, and I have nothing really to say here. These are interesting characters mm-hmm. that can be used for story purposes or as inspiration for your own characters. Um, so yeah, no- nothing to say with, with these. Um, the second appendix looks to the future, linking the Samidi bloodline to the mm-hmm. Cappadocians. Now, I prefer Dark Ages stand- to stand alone, so it didn't really do anything uh, for me. Uh, did it do anything for you? No, um, I I haven't really had any uh, encounters with uh, Samidi uh, either. So it's yeah. Again, if if this is the way you want to go, and and you mentioned it previously that they kind of pushed the, the theory that uh, the some of the surviving Cappadocians kind of turn into the Samidi. Um, yeah, if if that's what you want to do, um, then then go ahead. Um, I, I don't know. It's uh, yeah. It, it it wasn't really something that 
did anything for me to to be honest. No. And it does again. It doesn't mean that it's bad. It's just that it's it's not on my radar. Hmm. So uh, let us see how this book does on our two criteria: history and gaming. As for history, there's there's not much to say since it's a clan book. There's very little uh, actual real world history uh, that is not just the history of the clan. So I don't really think we can grade that for realism uh, because it's it's obviously uh, vampire history. I don't really I have any not uh, I can't apparently speak right now. I don't have anything really to say about the history part of this other than what's already been been mentioned in in drips and drabs. Uh, do you have anything that you want to say here? No, I, I think we covered most of it. It's uh, again the it's it's more of a story rather than history. So uh, yeah. yeah, nothing to add. When it comes to being a clan book, I think it's very well written, mm. but perhaps on the short side, uh, this being a whole new clan, I think they could have, for example, removed the weird black pages at the start uh, and the appendix looking to the future to add even more information on how to play and run Cappadocians in the Dark Ages setting and, and add something about you know Islam, as we, as we talk yeah. about. However, uh, this is really a minor complaint. F uh, for me, this is an endorsement for anyone wanting to play a Cappadocian or for any storyteller wishing to have the clan be important in their chronicle. But obviously, if you don't plan on having either a Cappadocian play a character or having them be central, you don't really need this book. Uh, Peter, your last comments. Well, I, I have three, uh, and I, I, it might go on for a while, but... It, uh, go, go, go. I, I agree with that it's it's a very well written book and it's um, like I mentioned I, I really didn't have uh, that high of an opinion of the clan but uh, this uh, I wouldn't say that we, it, it turned me around completely but it, it makes them useful and it, it makes them uh, fit in to uh, to the setting a lot more than it, than it, it did before. Uh, the, like uh, I have three points. First of all, uh, again, uh, like you mentioned, that there are some uh, topics that they could expand on, uh, and I really liked uh, the the Lamia. Um, mm, that's, yeah. That that uh, they could have brought them uh, up a bit more. And and what kind of annoyed me is that they they kind of mentioned them as something that that the reader would already know about and. Uh, I, I had to Google it to to get a proper picture, and it's it's supposed to be. Uh, are they own complete? Yeah, they're all, they are a, a complete bloodline with with their own. Uh, yeah, abilities. yeah, and and their own yeah. weakness and everything. So, but but I kind of like them that they are kind of like if um, if the Cappadocians are the uh, the scholars, then the Lamia are kind of the Indiana Jones of the clan that they are the one <laughs> going out being being martial yeah. acting as as um, bodyguards and um, uh, and and protectors of the more scholarly members of the clan uh, and and so I liked it and and I especially like they, they mentioned it briefly like uh, the Lamia as as death seekers not necessarily that they want to die or cause death on anyone else but they still want to experience just just mm. uh, seeing things die just to get a better understanding of it so so yeah. that's something that i i really like um well the next uh, the next book that uh, that we're covering has uh, more information about the lamia oh, so uh, so you'll get to uh, to, to get into them yeah, there <laughs> let's hope that they live up to my expectations uh, <laughs> and and then a thing that i kind of didn't like and it's it's the focus on 
on wraiths. Uh, and again, we we talked about this is that if it it kind of relies on doing a bit of a crossover into Wraith the Oblivion, and they they even have a mm. section on on if your vampire dies uh, and how it would be possible if it would be possible to turn into a wraith. Um, and I I don't really again unless you're you're doing a full full blown crossover where you decide that okay these these other supernaturals are a part of your world of darkness. I'd I'd rather have that that wraiths are more like I don't know shadows of of echoes of people living that they're not necessarily mm. their own personalities and and stuff yeah. that, like the just remnants uh, that you can still see in this world even though the actual person has has passed beyond. Uh, so so yeah, that's. Uh, Again, if if I'm playing vampire, I want to play vampire, not vampire and and friends. <laughs> the last thing mm. you said three things. Yes, right? exactly. And and that is, I was just uh, because there there's a lot of talk about uh, rebirth and uh, and uh, stuff like that in uh, in this book and and uh, people being scholars and and researching it. And I was just thinking like a, a what if scenario is that I would love to see the Cappadocians as a clan survive for for another couple of hundred years because then you would have you could have them during the the Renaissance you could have them during the uh, the religious war of the 1600s and you could especially have them during the Enlightenment in the 1700s mm, where, where you yes, had yes, all yes. this you had all uh, um, spiritualism in uh, there was a guy in Sweden who was, for the time being, he was a scientist and he did a bunch of, of actual sciencing, but he, he also uh, had seances and tried to communicate with spirits and stuff like that. And that feels very Cappadocious. Uh, and, and you have uh, Carl Linnaeus, the, the Swedish oh, yes. uh, botanist and, and scientist. Uh, just trying to... Remind organize. me again, what, what city is he connected with? Uh, Uppsala. <laughs> uh, there's yeah there we have uh, the Linnea Tregården and we have a bunch of of coffee shops uh named after him uh, <laughs> or cafes not coffee shops because again we are not part of of Amsterdam despite Scandinavia by night uh, but but again you you have this the the the, the trying to organize um, the creation is is very much uh, an 18th century thing with, with where you have all the botanists and explorers and, and people going around the world uh, kind of getting the seed to what would later uh, become uh, the theory of evolution and stuff like that. Uh, mm. and, and I would just love to see how the Cappadocians would fare in that uh, in that environment, uh, especially since you also had, uh, an upswing, yeah, you, yeah. Let's call it an upswing because you had secret societies before that. But you had, uh, you had the Rosicrucians, you have the the Illuminati and and the, the Freemasons being becoming every popular. every university uh, worth its salt had its own secret societies yeah. among the students. Exactly. So so it would it would just be so cool to see uh, Cappadocians. Uh, in that setting, because uh, uh, or or if you if if you don't want them to live on to the late 1700s, uh, then I could imagine that uh, either just have them stick around uh, for the Reformation uh, and have them killed off in the early 1500s, um, 
like uh, when the Catholic and Protestants started messing about, oh, yes. or or if you wanted just something really uh, well <laughs> death bringing or, or uh, lethal uh, during the, the the Thirty Years' War. Uh, yeah, I was just thinking the Thirty Years' War because holy crap, a lot of people died yeah, then. And, uh, or, or at least if if someone is uh, thinking of making a, a Giovanni-based uh, game uh, with the focus on, on death and destruction, then set it in the in the 1620s in Europe, some, somewhere in the 1620s or 30s in, in Central Europe. There's a oh, lot yes. of research subjects, so to speak. <laughs> that's right so yeah th those uh, are my three things uh and mm. um and yes and I uh, all cool stuff i think someone. sorry uh, i i said all cool stuff i think and and i think it 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 can inspire uh people okay so uh next friday will be a new episode of side quests uh the week after that we take a look at the dark ages companion which i think will be quite a lengthy episode i pulled out the book yesterday and took a look at it and I thought, okay, this is this is going to take a while. Uh, so anyway, any last words from you, Peter? Uh, no, uh, just remember that we're all going to die. I feel like that fits <laughs> fitting for uh, Yes. Memento Mori. Yeah. Uh, in that case, it is goodbye from me, Jacob. And from me, Peter. Farewell and see you next time. Goodbye.